All right, let's open our Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, we're going to begin reading in verse 11 today, and um, today we're going to read the entire passage, and then we'll take it to the Lord in prayer. I'd like to preach to you today a sermon called A Visit from God, and you'll see why and where we get that title from by the end of the passage. Luke chapter 7 and verse 11. The Bible says here, it came to pass the day after. That's the day after he healed the centurion's servant, you might remember from last week. It came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, He had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. If you would, let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning. I believe you've already met with us. I thank you for the songs we get to sing. And Lord, I think today, these last two especially, heaven comes down and glory fills our soul and we can walk with you and talk with you and that's what we desire for the next few minutes please come down speak to us Lord we want our hearts to be ready we want our ears to be open ready to hear please Lord fill me with your spirit now as I as I preach and I ask it in Jesus name amen amen this story is peculiar to the gospel of Luke you don't read about it in any other place in the Bible no other gospel contains this story and I think the question must be asked as to why that might be it's it's such a fantastic story Uh, this is only one of three times that we read about where Jesus raised somebody from the dead we know that he did it more often than that but such a great story why only in Luke's gospel well the city of Nain as you can see in verse 11 is a small city nearby Nazareth. Nazareth was not a big city at all, neither was Nain, but it was right up the road. And I wonder, we know from reading in other places in Luke's gospel, Luke had the inside track with, it appears, with Mary, the mother of Jesus. In Luke's gospel, you have more information about Mary than maybe all the other gospels put together. And it makes it look as if Luke had this inside track with Mary and therefore was able to get additional information that the other gospel writers may not have had access to. I wonder, in Luke going back to Mary, checking things out, verifying all the stories, writing his gospel, if Mary doesn't begin to tell him stories about people that they knew up the road in the city of Nain. And Jesus, I wonder, right, the city of Nain is right next to Nazareth. I wonder if Jesus knew this widow growing up. We saw by the end of the story, there's a rumor that goes about. You see that in verse 17? A rumor of him went forth. And this story begins to circulate. I wonder if Luke went back to this city of Nain 
years later and begin to ask and say, listen, I've heard this story. Mary, I've asked her. She says that she knows the people in town, and she told me who to ask. And Luke, being the historian he was, he goes back and verifies all the details. You know, for years after this happened, you know they're still talking about it. How do you stop talking about this, right? Whenever you have a visitation from God, this powerful, this tremendous, this life-altering, you don't stop talking about it. This kind of rumor is the kind of thing you need to verify. And Luke did. And he found that the story was a valid story. It was a right story. All the details were true, and he puts it in his gospel to remind us that even if you're a, let's say, an obscure nobody, what's the widow's name? Don't know. What's the son's name? Don't know. Any of you ever heard of Nain from anywhere else in the Bible? This is the only place in the Bible you read about it. Small, obscure, unknown, but when God shows up for a visit, that's worth writing down in the eternal book of God. When God pays you a visit. I want to talk just for a few minutes from this passage about this visit that the Lord pays here. And in verse 11 and 12, the story is set up. We, we know where it's happening We know that the funeral procession is taking place. Generally, in this day and age, uh, you know, in these biblical times, when somebody would pass away, they would perform the funeral within 24 hours. And a buyer is like a bed, almost. It's like a bed and a cot put together. It's something not not like a coffin that pallbearers would carry, but a bed. And you could see the, the... the dead person there going towards the grave. So that we have set up in verses 11 and 12. But verse 13, I, I think, has special interest for us. It says in verse 13, when the Lord saw her. When the Lord saw her. This widow has already been through quite a lot, has she not? She's a widow. And she only has one son, and that son has just died. I do not know how it feels to lose your spouse. So I tread lightly when I say this, but I can only imagine the pain, the sadness that is involved with losing your spouse. And then to compound that with a mother burying her child. Yes, the child is grown from what we can see. He is already a man. So I'm going to assume a younger man, maybe in his mid to late 20s, something like that. It's just one of those things in nature that you you always expect the children to bury the parents. And when it's the other way around, I don't think any of us need any coaxing to know that it's, it's, it's difficult to think about burying your children. And what I want to point out to you in verse 13 is the Lord saw that. The Lord saw her and He saw her from afar. He wasn't standing next to her. He, as He's approaching the city, He sees her. I just want to remind you today You may not recognize the Lord's presence right there next to you. That doesn't mean that He's not aware of what you're going through. God sees from afar. And sometimes you need to be reminded of that. You need to know that the Lord's eyes are open unto the righteous. He's watching. And not watching in the sense of let me find what you're doing wrong so that I condemn you. He watches and His heart breaks to see what you're going through. The Lord sees from afar. In the book of Psalms, David has a great verse where he says, Thou tellest all my wanderings. He counts them. He says, God, I know you are keeping track. You're counting every time I have to run from Saul. You're counting. 
Every time another enemy attacks, the Philistines come. You're counting. Thou tellest my wanderings. David says, put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not written in your book? God's keeping track, not just of the bad words you say and the bad decisions you made. You know, we have this idea that God's book is filled with all the naughty things we've done. It's also filled with all the sorrows that you've had. Every tear that you've shed, the Bible tells us God has a bottle and He's collecting those tears. And they mean something to Him. It says here, God saw her and He had compassion on her. Did you know that she did not ask for this attention? She didn't pray to Jesus in this story, right? She didn't wave him down and say, hey, hey, Jesus, we've heard that you can do great things. Come, come please and do this for me. She did not know that he was there as best we can tell. She was seen of him before she asked after him. It makes me think of Hagar. You guys remember this story? We very rarely preach on the story of Hagar. We almost kind of villainize her to a certain extent. But guys, let's be honest. Hagar made some mistakes, but she was really put into a difficult position. She's taken out of Egypt by Abraham and his family, and then Sarai comes up with this plan, go in unto Hagar, raise up seed through Hagar, and now Hagar falls pregnant. Now this is where her mistake comes in. She kind of develops an attitude and starts looking down her nose at Sarai, and you know, things get dodgy after that. Sarai gets upset and says, Abram, my wrong be upon thee. What do we do about this? And Abram... He says, she's in your hands. Do whatever you want. Now, Abram should have stepped up right there and took care of it himself, but he didn't. He said, Sarah, whatever you want to do to her, help yourself. So Sarah dealt harshly with Hagar, and the Bible says Hagar fled. And as she's running down, she's actually going back home. She's running through the wilderness. She's going back to Egypt. And the Bible tells us that the angel of the Lord stopped her and said, whoa, time out. Where are you going? Where are you running to? And Hagar begins to pour out her heart, and he says, I know, I can see what you're going through. I know that you've fallen pregnant. And, and by the way, the, the boy that's going to come from you, he's actually going to become a great nation. Now, God was honest with her and said that boy's going to be a wild man. <laughs> I think some of you can relate with that prophecy, right? <laughs> he's going to be a wild man, and everybody's hand is going to be against him, and he's going to be against He's going to be a fighter, not a lover. <laughs> But then God said, you need to go back, submit yourself to Sarai, and I want you to know that I'm looking after you. And Hagar called the Lord. He gave, she gave the Lord a special name. Thou God seest me was the name that she gave. Bir Laharoi, because there was a well there. And the name of the well, she called it Bir Laharoi, which means the well of where God sees me. So she called God the God who sees me. Hagar said, I was not looking after God. I was not looking for him, but he was looking for me. Here's a woman that was treated unfairly, put into the middle of a difficult situation. Granted, she made her own mistakes, but God was still watching over her. And you might be looking at your life thinking, you know, this is my fault. The mess I'm in, the pain that I'm feeling, it's my fault. And that might be true. And maybe it's not. Maybe you're like the widow. And your heart is breaking and it wasn't your fault. It's just life. And you need to know that God sees from afar. God sees before you ever ask. God knows before you get down to pray. He's already intimately aware of how broken your heart is. 
You know the great thing about God, he's not only a God afar off, he's also a God at hand. So that same God that from a distance, without manifesting his presence immediately right there in your life, he steps on the scene, he draws nigh, he gets close to you and he says, at the end of verse 13, it says he had compassion on her, said unto her, weep not. Weep not? She is at her son's funeral. Weep not? That's, that's a tremendous statement. I think only Jesus can pull that statement off. I would not say that at a, at a funeral. You know, there are some times you should weep. I've tried to teach my kids as, as we've raised them. There, there, are, there are times you need to shut off the waterworks, right? There are some things in, in life not worth crying about. We do cry a lot about things that shouldn't be cried about. Amen. But then there are some times like this occasion where let, let it go. Let it go. Weep. Even Jesus, right, he's not against weeping. When Jesus went to the funeral of Lazarus, the Bible, the shortest verse in the English Bible, Jesus wept. He's not against weeping. There are going to be some things in life that break your heart. What you need to look for in those times, the God that saw you afar off and is now coming close, he's going to give you hope. And that'll be the only thing that gets you through that tough moment. Jesus is able to say, weep not, because he knows what he's about to do. He knows I'm about to reach out and change this woman's life in a way that she couldn't ever have expected. She woke up that day thinking to go through the worst day of her life, not knowing that she would go to bed having the best day of her life. She had no idea. Jesus comes in and says, weep not. You and I, when we lose a loved one, we are told in 1 Thessalonians, we sorrow but not as others which have no hope. Because God has told us, I am one day going to step in and do something about that, lost, that, that loved one that you just lost. The dead in Christ one day will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We have been told by our Savior that He has gone to prepare a place for us. Yes? Isn't that wonderful? Right now, he's preparing a place for us that where he is, we may be also. One day, he will come again, and we will forever be with the Lord. We are greatly comforted by that because we know, thank God, he's told us when he says to us now, you've lost somebody special to you. You're going through a tough time. I understand your tears. My heart is breaking with you, but don't forget what I'm planning to do. Here is some hope. Here is a promise to cling on to to get you through that tough time. In verse number 14, he came and touched the buyer. You know, that's a big no-no. You don't do that at a funeral. You just don't. You don't do it at funerals now. You, don't, you certainly didn't do it then. That was massively taboo. He came and touched the buyer, and they that bear him stood still. I mean, what is he what is he thinking? Why would you do that? You know, God does that a lot in our lives where he steps in and starts doing things just completely unnorm uh, not normal, out of the norm. Just why would you do that? That's not our culture. <laughs> that's not how we do things, but that's how God works often. They that bear him stood still, and he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. Don't you know everybody holding that buyer, everybody standing around, their ears are perked, they're looking in. You know, this is exactly what happens when you're going through rough times. All of heaven and earth sometimes looking in, just waiting to see how you'll react to what God's about to do. Jesus says to this young man, arise. 
You know, he is only one of three, as I mentioned earlier, one of three people that we read about that Jesus raised from the dead. It's interesting when you look at the three. Number one, there was Jerry, Jairus, I think you'd say, Jairus' daughter. She was 12 years old. And the Bible says when, when Jesus raised her from the dead, it says she began to walk. And Jesus said, give her some food. I mean, she's almost a teenager, right? So give her some food. <laughs> she's going to be hungry. But she started to walk and she had an appetite. This young man, verse number 15, he that was dead sat up and began to speak. So one was raised and began to walk. This one raised and begins to speak. You know who the other one is? Lazarus. And the Bible says that he came out of his grave, but he was still bound in his grave clothes, still had that napkin covering his face, and he needed help to get all of this baggage, this bondage, he needed help to get out of it. You know what this tells me? There's a 12-year-old, there's a 20-something-year-old, and then there's an older, older man. <laughs> it doesn't matter how old you are, Jesus can step in and where there was deadness, give you life. And it tells us what to do after he's given you life. You start to walk with him. You should have an appetite. You should start telling the story about what he's done. And you're going to need help from somebody else to get over that past life. Lazarus was carrying around with him the bondage of his deadness, the grave clothes. Somebody, I, I've always wondered what that looked like when he came out of the grave. If he's all wound up, how did he come out? Have you ever thought about that? Did he float out? <laughs> Did he hop out? <laughs> I, I, maybe it was one of these things where he's just, you know, <laughs> Lazarus, come forth. I, I'm coming. <laughs> Be right there. <laughs> Can anybody help me? You know, after we get saved, after the Lord gives us eternal life, there's a lot of times we'd like to move faster than we can. We just need somebody to come and tear off that old life. We need somebody to bring us some food and feed us. We need somebody to talk to about it. And that's what this young man did. He sat up and began to speak. Imagine what he was telling his mother at that point. I'll just say one more thing about what Jesus has done here. Did you know that no matter where Jesus went throughout the stories we have in the Bible, nobody ever stayed dead in his presence? Did you know that? He was the worst person you could ever, well, I say worst, maybe the worst or the best to invite to a funeral because they never got buried. <laughs> Everywhere he went, life followed him. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Watch this. Whenever he raises somebody from the dead, he calls their name. He says in verse 14, young man, I say unto thee, arise. Because if he just says arise, everybody in the graves would pop up. <laughs> He needs to be very descript and say who he's talking to. Otherwise, he, when he said to Lazarus, he says, Lazarus, come forth. Otherwise, boom, they all come out. There's Jesus hanging on the cross. Those thieves next to him couldn't die until Jesus dies. What did Jesus say? Nobody can take my life. I lay it down of myself. That's how strong that life is that he has in him. In his presence, nothing dies. You say, you know, I'm feeling dead. I'm feeling this, this deadness kind of inside. I've, I feel kind of numb. The answer to that is to spend some more time in the presence of Jesus Christ. Because in His presence, there's no deadness. Things come back to life. You know, I want to point something out to you about verses 14 and 15. Jesus, we see in, in, in the beginning of the story, He sees from afar. He, he's watching what, what's 
this widow is going through. But in verses 14 and 15, he restores what this widow needs. He restores what she needs. She's lost something very dear to her, very important to her. How is she going to make it without this young man in her life? Now, you know, as Christians, I think we get stuck on this sometimes. I know I do. All I need is God. Is that an amen moment? All I need is God. Is that true? Amen? Amen. That's true. All I need is Jesus. Amen. I, I agree. But Jesus knows that sometimes you need some other things too. And that is not stealing glory from him. That is not detracting from the attention we want to give him. We give him the preeminence and we know that he is the one providing those other things that we need in our life. Doesn't it say this in, in, the, in Philippians? But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Jesus could have walked up to this widow and said, Hey, ma'am, I'm here. You don't need your son. You have me. He could have said that, but he didn't. You know, Jesus, not only will he restore fellowship with you and God because we certainly need that, but sometimes he knows you've lost something very important and very vital to your existence. And Jesus will step in and say, without this, you're not going to make it through life as you should. And he's the one that will restore your soul in whatever way it needs to be restored. Perhaps, if I can ask you just for a moment, look on the buyer that's being carried in your life right now. Just look up there. There may not be a young man. Perhaps your zeal is on the buyer. Perhaps your zeal for Christ has faded. The fire, the fervent love that you had for him at one point, that first love, perhaps it has died. And it's on the buyer. Perhaps you have lost sight of what's important in life. Your priorities have gotten out of whack. Your priorities are on the buyer. Perhaps at one point in your life, you had a real genuine hunger for the Word of God. I mean, you could not wait to get up and read it. You couldn't wait to go to Bible school. You loved coming to church to hear it, and that has kind of waned. And perhaps, I don't know, you've learned to feed yourself with something else or you've just gotten interested in something else, but your hunger for the Word of God is today on that buyer. Perhaps at one point you were very concerned for lost souls. And you tried to tell people how to be saved. And you even asked your friends and family members if they were saved. And it concerned you that so many people around you were lost. But as time goes on, sometimes our burden for souls ends up on the buyer. And what you need is for Jesus to come by and restore what has died in your life. And just get your cup filled to overflowing once again. Jesus knew that this widow had no one else to care for her on this earth. We know that God's caring for her. But you know that God often provides for us not just by Him opening up the heavens and speaking down to us. Sometimes God will bring another person or another thing into our life to help us. While I was on furlough just a few months back, I prayed and said, God, I'm feeling a bit worn out. I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed. Would you please bring the right books into my life? I prayed for the right books. And I, guys, I know the Bible's the book. 
But, but God, I said, would you just bring the right books that's going to help me get over this hump? He did. You know, the Apostle Paul said one time about Titus, he said, I was comforted by the coming of Titus. You know, sometimes you just need a good friend to come over for an hour or two and just spend some time with you. We say, but I, I'm going to get all my peace and comfort from God. Then when God brings somebody to comfort you, accept the comfort that God's providing. Jesus knows this lady is going to need her son. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, it says, There is no temptation taking you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God will always give you a way out. And sometimes that way out, like I said, is not him cracking the heavens open, putting a ladder from heaven to earth saying, climb the ladder. Sometimes that way out is a friend coming over or a message coming in or a book being handed to you or a sermon or something, some other human instrument that God is using to get you through that tough time. And he knows this needs to be a part of your life to get you through. In verse number 16, we read, There came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet has risen among us. Well, is that true? Yes. Is that the whole story? No. In the immediate, that's what they think. I mean, that's a fair enough conclusion, but that's not the whole story. A great prophet has risen among us. Yes, that God has visited his people. Yes, that's true. In their minds, they're just saying God sent this great prophet. Oh, they have no idea. They have no idea just how special this man is. You know, often we take for granted just how special the moment is. We know God's doing something, but we fail to see the magnitude of what he's doing. At Jesus, Jesus at one point, he asked his disciples, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? You, you know, remember the answers? Well, some say you're John the Baptist. That was Herod. Some say you're Elijah the prophet. You remember Elijah raised a widow's son from the dead, just like this story. Some say you're Elijah. Some say John the Baptist. Others say you're Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the Bible tells us, was the weeping prophet. <laughs> and he had a lot of harsh things to say to the nation. Jesus had some things in common with all of those men. Then after giving that answer, Jesus turned to his disciples. He said, but who do you say that I am? That's what everybody else is saying. That's the rumor. But what about you? Who do you think I am? Peter, as Peter is known to do, speaks up quickly. says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. He said, God has shown you something there. You have some insight. I'm not just another prophet. I'm far more special than that. And Peter, I'm going to use you to build my church. And you know, Jesus, he, he had given proof and evidence, and he had done the miracles. He had done the preaching. He said that a man's sins could be forgiven. Only God could do that. At one point, Jesus said he was the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus had made statements that would indicate he is God. He had done the miracles that proved he had the power of God. But when the people started saying, God has visited us, they were not trying to say that God has come down in human form to visit us. But he had. They underestimated just how intense and amazing 
that event was. God had visited his people. And they didn't know how special it was. I wonder how many times on a Sunday that's happened. I wonder how many times during a church service God is trying to show up and show up and, and, and tap on your heart and speak to you. And he tried to visit you. And it, you know it's not limited to a Sunday. I wonder if tomorrow morning he'll pass by again. Stop in for a visit. Didn't Jesus say, Behold, I stand at the door and knock? We often, we wait, we think we have to invite Jesus before he can come visit. Right? Jesus, please draw nigh, come close. Because we look at our schedule, we go, this would be a good time for me. Right? This is a good time for me. I've got all my other chores done. I'm caught up on work. I'm feeling pretty good today. Yeah, let's do it today. You know, this widow didn't ask. Jesus just showed up. Jesus will show up and start knocking at the door. And he says, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Is it possible that he's knocking at your door even now? God had visited his people and in verse 17, this rumor went forth throughout all Judea. The people start talking about it. How does this go? Well, we all know how rumors go, right? Rumor, a rumor is a story to which you do not know the source. We're not sure where it came from. That's a rumor. Could be true, could, maybe it's not. We don't know. Jesus told the people came to him once and said, you keep saying these things about yourself. How do we prove it? How do we test you? He says, I'll give you four things. Look at John the Baptist. His ministry validates that I'm the Messiah. Look at the miracles I'm doing. That's a fulfillment of the Old Testament. That validates it. My father spoke from heaven. That validates it. And then he said one last thing. Search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. You know what Jesus taught us to do? Validate the rumor. You want to know that it's true? You want to know how great he is? You want to know if he's visited his people? Search the scripture. Here's what we do. People start talking, talking, talking. We just repeat what somebody else says. We don't search for the source. We don't go back to the source and go, where did this story come from? Is it true or is it not? Guys, did the living God come down in human form, die on a cross to give you life, and restore your soul back to fellowship with God? Did he do that? That needs to be more than a rumor. You need to validate that. You need to search and find the depths of it and see just how special it is and then act upon it. Unfortunately, for too many people, these great stories are nothing more than stories and it doesn't change their life. God hath visited His people well, yes, if that's the case, that should change everything. But look at Luke chapter 19. And we'll finish in Luke chapter 19 this morning. Luke chapter 19, look with me in verse number 41. Of course, we've skipped forward many 
many pages, this about two years into the future now of our, of our context, and Jesus is about to go to the cross. Luke 19, verse 41, it says, And when He was come near, that is, to Jerusalem, when He was come near, He beheld the city and wept over it. He wept over it. He's going to tell us why. Saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. He says, you guys just don't see what I came to do. You're not getting it. Verse 43, For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side. See, it's, it's going to get really bad. It didn't have to. Verse 43 didn't have to happen. But God came for a visit and the people weren't paying attention. And he said, okay, well, it's going to get bad. Verse 44, And shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because, watch it, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. God says, I came for a visit. I came, I knocked at the door, and everybody inside the house just talked about it. But they didn't open the door. They didn't let the Messiah in, not into their nation. The Lord Jesus came for a visit. I've given you the verse earlier, how he stands at the door and knocks. Have you read Song of Solomon? Are you guys familiar with that book? Right after Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. It's only one of two books in the Bible that doesn't mention the name God at all, not once. The book of Esther is the only other book. It doesn't mention God at, at any point. But you can see God in the book of Esther and in the book of Song of Solomon more than, more than you might expect. He's all through there. You know what happens in Song of Solomon? The man shows up. Late at night, about 1, 2 in the morning, chapter 5, he's standing outside the wife's door, knocking. She's already gone to bed. And the Bible says that the woman was kind of half awake. She knows what's going on. She knows that it's the man out there. And he says, open unto me, my, my beloved, open. My head is filled with the dew of the night. He'd been out there knocking for a while. The dew was gathering in his hair. He'd soaked. And instead of opening the door, the woman made excuses. He said, but I've already gone to bed. I've already put off my clothes. How should I put them back on? Why, why would I do that? And eventually, the Bible says the woman got up and went to the door. But by the time she got to the door, he was gone. So she, in a panic, goes out into the city, not dressed like the queen. And as she's going about the city, the keepers of the city, the guards, beat her and rip her veil from her because they didn't recognize her as the queen. Well, that's what happens when you don't spend enough time with the king. All of a sudden, you start hurting because he came for a visit. And he wants to restore. He wants to show you how much he cares. 
He wants to make right what was broken, maybe a broken heart, maybe a broken spirit, maybe whatever it is, he's trying to restore that. If he's coming around for a visit and you feel that knock at the door, can I just encourage you today, rush to the door. Rush to the door and say, Lord, this is what I've been waiting for. I want you to be more than a rumor in my life. I don't want you to just be a story that I tell. I want, to be, I want, to, I want you to be my Savior, my Lord, that I walk with day in and day out. Father, let's all stand, let's all stand. Heads bowed and eyes closed. We'll go to the Lord in prayer in just a moment. Pianist will come and play something. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm, I'm, I feel rushed to pray because I believe what we've uh, talked about this morning is true for so many people, even myself. I don't want the Lord to pass me by. God has visited His people. My goodness, what He can do for them. Restore them, care about them, love on them, get them through a tough time. God has visited His people. What a wonderful message, but needs to be more than a message. Some have come to pray. If you would like to spend a moment or two at the altar, you're more than welcome to do so. Perhaps it's been a while since the Lord has touched one of the buyers in your life. What is it that the Lord needs to restore in your soul? You know why Solomon's wife didn't get up and answer the door right away? It wasn't convenient for her. He didn't come at a convenient time. That's why I said Jesus doesn't... uh, He doesn't always wait for us to do the inviting. Sometimes He just shows up. When He does, it's a good day. Don't let Him pass by. Jesus beheld the city and wept over it because they didn't know that God had come for a visit. It was just a rumor. Father, we want you to visit. We want it to be real to us. Lord, what I said last week, I meant we don't need the hoopla. You you don't have to put on a show to get our attention. We, We just want to know that you're there. And whatever you're trying to restore in our life, 
you know what we need. You know when our heart is broken what we need to get through that. We thank you for being mindful of our sorrow. For not only looking on it, but doing something about it. Help us, Lord. Please help us to respond to it. Help us to love you in return. We love him because he first loved us. God, help us to love you right. Lord, perhaps somebody is here today and they don't know you as their Savior. Please, God, might this be the day that they realize you've come for a visit. You want to restore them back to God, reconcile that sinner. Thank you for spending time with us. Have your hand upon us as we depart. Lord, help us to be ever mindful of your presence. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.